Welcome to Center Ice, bringing it live to you here from Grand Prairie, Alberta. My friend Matt is in Ottawa, Ontario. It's a snowy day here, and we're here to talk some hockey. Let's get right into it. The Golden Knights acquired Jack Eichel over the last week for Peyton Krebs, Alex Tuck, and two conditional draft picks. Now, this Eichel stuff has been going on for some time. It is well documented what went on. Not only was there blame on Eichel, not only did he ask for a trade, but we also found out that there was a clash between him, his team and the Sabres front office about surgery. Well, look at that. He's traded and he gets the surgery almost right away. So I'm excited for him to get a new start. And once again, the Vegas Golden Knights reel in a big fish. Yeah, well, this is becoming commonplace at this point. You get Pacioretty, Stone, Betrangelo, now Eichel. It makes you wonder who are they going to target next? But if you're a Vegas Golden Knights fan, you certainly got to be excited about the potential that Jack Eichel can bring to this Vegas Golden Knights team because if he can get healthy and back up to the speed that we know he can run at by the playoffs, he could be a huge factor in the Vegas Golden Knights getting out of the Western Conference this year because you know as well as I do, Mac, over the past couple of years, Vegas has had a good enough team to get fairly deep into the playoffs, but they haven't quite had the uh, X factor to get over the hump. And you need one of those in the playoffs. And Vegas is certainly hoping that Jack Eichel will be the one, especially for the price they paid for him, which was quite steep. Yeah, for sure. And let's let's take a look at the trade from the other side here. I mean, Alex Tuck is a talented player, former top pick by the Minnesota Wild. You know, he has trouble staying healthy, but when he's healthy, he's a handful. He's especially good in the playoffs, I find. Peyton Krebs is another guy who I think Buffalo realized does not need to be rushed, needs a little bit more development time. They already sent him to the AHL and you did get two conditional picks. So, you know, these trades never really work out for the team trading the big player at first. But again, this this is one where you're betting on the future. You've got more cap flexibility now. And Peyton Krebs in his own right is developing into a good player. We don't know quite what he's going to be like yet. It's a little early to say, but I remember in his draft year, everybody was touting him as a guy who injuries ruined where he got selected. He was supposed to be around top 10, top 12. He ended up going later than that. So, I mean, this is the best deal they could have got, obviously. I don't know about you, but that rumor with the that wild trade with Calgary was, I was like, there's no way this is real, right? Like, if this is real, they would say yes immediately. But obviously it was not. It was far too much. So mm-hmm. all things considered... I think they did pretty well here. And Buffalo really going with the youth movement, really trying to clear out any guys that don't necessarily want to be there and slowly starting to build something. I think all things considered, Kevin Adams has done a pretty good job so far in Buffalo. Yeah, I think he's done a pretty good job. He could only go up from where he was though, Mac, to be fair. But trading Jack Eichel, as you mentioned, it was never going to be an easy thing to do, especially given the situation with him and his injury. But I, I think he got a pretty good return here. Uh, you've talked about Peyton Krebs already, but I agree with you. I think that given a little more development and Buffalo seems to be in no hurry to bring him up, which is good. He could be a real stud for the Buffalo Sabres any any year or two, which it would be great to see. He's a young guy too. He's only 20 years old. He's got lots of time left in him. And I think he could be a real, real good player for Buffalo given the right development. And Buffalo does have a decent development system down in Rochester there. So I do like that. You look at Alex Tuck, you and I both know what he can do. He was a real great player on 
the Vegas Golden Knights. He got a good amount of points all the time. Uh, remember 2018-2019, he got 52 points over that season. And if you're a Buffalo Sabres fan, you're certainly hoping that he can stay healthy, which has been the big problem for Alex Tuck over the past couple of years. If he can stay healthy and get 50 plus points a season again, like he has before, uh, that'll be a real boon to the Buffalo Sabres who need all the uh, point getters they can get. And then the two conditional picks, you can never go wrong with two picks. Just look at how uh, that worked out for the Ottawa Senators in the Eric Carlson trade down. There is a top 10 protection on this year's 2022 pick. So if you're Buffalo fans, you got to be hoping that next year Vegas takes a big step back. I don't see it happening, but that will still be two uh, solid first round picks in either 2022 or 2023, plus all the other picks that they've been stockpiling. So Buffalo seems to be finally making slow steps in the right direction here. And I do think as long as they can keep stockpiling and building towards the future, we may finally see a winner in Buffalo in three or four years. Yeah, I mean, we'll see. But I, like I said, I like the steps that Kevin Adams is taking, and it's it's going to be a slow process, but we'll see what happens. We should mention that Eichel did have the surgery, like I did mention, and he's expected to be back in approximately three to four months. That is the timeline. We don't know if that's for sure. It's just a timeline. So basically, Vegas is hoping that he comes around as they make their push for the playoffs. But so far, they're 10 and 7. They're doing fairly well, considering all the injuries and missing bodies and COVID issues they've had and of course Marc-Andre Fleury being gone okay so the next topic I think this was a real debate between you and I should we talk about the Seattle Kraken first or should we talk about the Vancouver Canucks oh I feel like we gotta go with Vancouver just because of the fan outrage around Jim Benning and Come on, you and I have been having fun talking about Jim Benning for a few years now. So let's go Vancouver first. And I'll let you take the lead on this one because I know you have some very strong opinions about Jim Benning right now, as I do too, but... Yeah, you and I have been on the, you know, fire Jim Benning train for a while. And that's not, you know, we're not trying to be offensive towards him or anything. It's just, you look at the big picture, you look at all the opportunities they've had to win all the opportunities they've had to make their team better. And they always seem to be in the same position, which is they have some good players. They end up overpaying average to below average players. And then they're in a cap crunch every single year. And I think the most important thing with this Canucks team right now is that A, your star players aren't showing up. And B, you're not playing good defense in front of Demko. I've had a chance to catch a good amount of Canucks games this season now that I'm on the West Coast. And I'll tell you, Matt, they are not playing well defensively. They're very inconsistent. They don't look confident. I don't know if Travis Green has lost the room. Hard to speculate on that. That is possible. But I just, I don't like what I'm seeing from this team. And, you know, again, just look at the roster. Like I said, it's always composed. There's some star players. There's some really good players. And then you look at the roster and you see players like Tyler Myers making way too much money. And the trade for Oliver ekman Larson. Okay, you got Connor Garland. Great. But why would you take on that ekman Larson contract? As far as I'm concerned, as long as Jim Benning is in charge, this situation is not going to change. They're always going to be a team that has good players, that has players that are way overpaid for how good they are, and also below average players that are way overpaid, resulting in a cap crunch every single year. And fans worrying about, you know, can we sign our next young star player? Like your next young star player is probably going to be this Put Colson kid. In three, four years, if he projects to be as good as he looks right now, you're going to have to sign him. Are you going to have the money? Who knows? Yeah, I just, 
And the Aquilini thing is another thing. He is a very interesting owner to say the least. And I think he's too cheap to fire Benning because he doesn't want to find a replacement. And somehow he still supports everything he does despite all their history. Yeah, I mean, uh, it, it's it's tough for Canucks fans. That's a tough team to be a fan of, you know. And they have some great fans, but they have every reason to be frustrated and upset with the way things are going. Absolutely. And <clears throat> I, I think he's, he's put it perfectly there, Mac, because Vancouver has been a dumpster fire to say the least this year, but it, it's so frustrating from someone on the East coast who doesn't get to watch as many Canucks games. When I do, you look at that team and you say, if you've got some really good players here, but man, you're overpaying for about half of them. And the other half of the players on your team, as you mentioned, are guys that can hardly skate and are getting paid way too much money. You and I were critical of the Ekman Larson trade as soon as it happened. And for good reason, yeah, Garland was a great acquisition, but considering you had to take on that horrible contract, Arizona and Bill Armstrong absolutely fleeced Jim Benning there because he knew he could get away with it. And he did. And Arizona, even though uh, they've had an absolutely awful season, you and I were talking about this prior to coming on the air, Arizona at least has some direction there. Armstrong seems to have a plan. He's stocking up on a bunch of assets and he's going to make a killing at the draft next year. If I had to take a guess, his record is pretty good. But back to Jim Benning, you look at Jim Benning's drafting, signings, trades. It's all been just a disaster. Yeah, he hits on a few of them, but you're going to find a, a diamond in a coal mine every now and again, Mac. But Jim Benning overall, his record, to me, speaks for itself. He's been a disaster. And any competent owner probably would have fired him three, four years ago when you and I started calling for it. So, you know, I, I do feel for Vancouver fans just like you do because they've got some great talent on that team. You've got Thatcher Demko. You've got Elias Pedersen, amongst many others. This team, remember, they made it all the way to the uh, – conference finals just a year ago so this team isn't too far removed from having a good deep playoff run and I do think they can get back there but I don't think Jim Benning's the man to lead them there and I don't think many people think he is either yeah no I you put it perfectly right there and to me like I said this situation is not going to change until changes are actually made so that's a little that's enough about the Canucks. You know, this is a team that Matt and I have been very vocal on the last few years. We were really excited to see the success that they were having in the bubble. And then, you know, it, you just realize that they're the Canucks again and Jim Benning's in charge. And I think the one thing that really stands out for me is is when people talk about Benning and they say, Oh, he's done a good job drafting. Okay, last time I checked, his job is not to draft. That's the scouting that does that. And the scouting identifies those players to draft. He just does the drafting itself. So that's not a compliment to Jim Benning. Anyway, let's go on to another team very close to Vancouver, the Seattle Kraken. I mean, could not be a worse start to their season. Could there be? No, they've had a rough start to the season. And I will say, Mac, it's not completely unexpected. I know a lot of people expected Seattle to be a lot like Vegas, but to me, Vegas was a once in a generation fluke. And Seattle is playing more like I'd expect an expansion team to do. They're going to have to uh, make some moves, figure out what sort of direction do we want to take this team in, Mac? Because I think the foundation they've got right now isn't all that great. I, I know a lot of experts and analysts thought over the summer that it was a pretty good expansion draft. 
And given the players that they had available, they I think they did all right. But you have to remember, Matt, when Vegas did the expansion draft, they absolutely fleeced everyone because freaking teams like Florida left Marcia so available and Pittsburgh left Fleury available. Well, team GMs uh, occasionally do learn their from their mistakes, Mac. It doesn't happen very often, but they did learn in the case of the expansion draft. And a lot less high-end talent was available for Seattle. Not saying there was none. You look at Mark Giordano and guys like that. They do have some talent, but there's not a lot of depth there. It's a pretty inexperienced team. They're all playing. It's a new team, new building, and the expectations that were were pretty high on them after what Vegas did probably didn't help much either. So I think that Seattle, we're going to see them sell off at the deadline, Mac. And I think that they're going to be building for the long haul, but that's what pretty much every other expansion team in history minus Vegas has done. So I I do think that with the right moves, they can uh, get into the playoffs sooner rather than later, but it's not going to be this year and it probably won't be next year, but that that's the joys of being a fan of an expansion team and just being an expansion team overall. Yeah, that's a good point you make saying that they could sell some of those assets off at the deadline. They do still have an opportunity to do that because there will be demand as always at the trade deadline for good quality NHL players, which they do have. I think the thing that's most concerning right now is the goaltending and the defensive play from this team. I mean, Philip Grubauer came in on a big ticket contract and he has an 875 save percentage and a 3.27 goals against average. Dreger, kind of same deal, a little less money. Again, you know, 4.78 goals against average and a 791 save percentage. And I think the other thing about this team that's a little concerning is, now I have to ask you this question because I'm curious if you, you feel this way. Is there extra pressure put on the Seattle Kraken as a result of the Vegas Golden Knights success? And in that form of pressure, did it apply pressure on the front office and the GM to try and be good right away? Uh, I think so, because, you know, if you're a fan of Seattle and just a fan of the NHL in general, I knew a lot of people and I'm sure I'd be curious to know what you think, Mac, but I knew a lot of people over the summer and just leading up to the expansion draft, they said, oh, we're going to get another Vegas. The Vegas Gold Knights, you know, this is the expectation now. The NHL has made it so that you can get good players right away. And based on some of the draftings that they did at the expansion draft, you certainly felt like they were going to try and compete. And do remember, Matt, they are in a weak Pacific division, so they can turn things around here if, if uh, guys like Dreger and, and Co. can turn it around. But I do think, and I my point still stands here, Mac. I think that if you're Seattle, based on your goaltending, based on your defense and what you've got so far, I think that you're best just to play for the long haul, even though that's not exactly how they drafted at the expansion draft. I That's where the uh, pressures really came in. I wouldn't be surprised at all if ownership said, look, this is what Vegas was able to do. And the NHL, remember, they raised the expansion fee after Vegas's success. So certainly the NHL and the owner's mind, Mac, we're going to, we're thinking, all right, we're going to up the expansion fee by a few hundred million because we basically gifted Las Vegas a winner right away. So there's, they're in their mind, oh, Seattle's going to do the same. Well, it's not working out so far. And it really does 
to me, just show and prove how Vegas was a once in a generation type event. And that I don't think we're going to see it again for a very, very long time in any sport. Although the NFL, NBA, and MLB have all been rumored to uh, want to expand again. So you never know. But I think in terms of the pressure, yeah, it was there. And it certainly affected at least how some decisions were made at the uh, expansion draft. Because there were some guys there that were available. And I thought to myself, maybe they should take a look at some of these younger guys who aren't going to be ready right away. But when they are ready, they could be top blue chip prospects if you develop them right. But they mostly went for the bigger name players. I think they wanted to make a splash right away. And it hasn't worked out so far. What do you think here, Mac? Honestly, you know, I've been thinking about this because it seems like kind of a silly question to ask when you do ask the question. But I really do think they did feel that pressure because, you know, you're bringing it to a a huge market, this team. You know, Seattle is a very wealthy city. They paid a lot of money for this team. And very early on, it was evident that they were going to go for it. And I think from their perspective, they thought about it like, you know, we can take a shot at this and see if we're as good as Vegas. And if it doesn't work out, we have guys to trade and get some salary cap relief. But here's the thing. They only have $8 million in cap space for an expansion team in their first year. So, you know, Ronnie Francis, I would say, has his work cut out for him here because, you know, you need to really look about how you're going to kind of draft and develop and put together this team in the next two, three years. Because like you said, there is an opportunity there in the division they're in. And I think with the right moves, they could be a much better team. I didn't like the way they drafted in the expansion draft personally. You know, there were some picks that were slam dunks and you can say, okay, that makes sense. But a lot of moves they made, I didn't like. I didn't like how they selected Vanacek and then traded him back to Washington. I thought he was a better goalie than Drazier and he's having a good season with the Capitals. They were happy to give up a second round pick for him. I think the other question I have about Seattle is, why did they choose Dave Haxtell as a head coach? I think they could have done a lot better in that regard. Yeah, I agree with you on that one, absolutely. And I think that they're going through the growing pains right now. And I think Ronnie Francis will, he'll find the course that he wants to take this team as the year goes along. I think he's still trying to figure out what he's got here. Because remember, being an expansion team, you start from square one. You don't have a whole lot of prospects. You don't have a whole lot of players. You get what you get. And you don't really know what to expect of your team on day one. You know, a lot of us, when Vegas hit the ice, we all thought they were going to be a dumpster fire. And, well, it didn't turn out that way at all. And we we, ultimately, no one knew how Seattle was going to be until the puck dropped. And based on what we've seen so far, it hasn't been great. But now that you know what to expect from this current group you've got, if you're Ron Francis, you can chart the course. You can sell off guys like Grubauer for multiple assets at the deadline, for example. You can make those moves, bulk up on some draft picks, and start building a core from within your whole team. And I think that's inevitably where they're going to end up, Mac. It's just a matter of how long will it take for them to realize that they're not going to be the next Vegas Golden Knights. Yeah, and and I think, again, I don't blame them for trying to go for it. I mean, if you have the money, you have the flexibility, why not? 
I don't like the fact that they only have 8 million in cap space. There's going for it. And then there's, you know, leaving your team in a position where you have a lot of long-term deals of guys that are, you know, overpaid and, and not performing up to expectations. So, I mean, so far, a lot of negative talk on this podcast, Matt. Uh, should we talk about the stars? Yeah, I guess we should talk about the Dallas stars, a, a team that I have, seen recently with them coming into Ottawa, although a lot has changed since I saw them. And at the same time, nothing has changed. I'm sure you get to see a lot more Dallas Stars games than I do, though. So I'll let you lead it off and I'll uh, follow along. You guys know me. I've always liked the way the Stars have played. I like their defensive acumen, if you will. I've always liked a lot of players on their roster. But to me, you know, Jim Nill has recognized that They have to start bringing in younger players and he started to draft some good young players. But if you look at the roster right now, like I'll be frank, they've got some good players that have speed and skill. But aside from that, aside from the Miro Heiskanen's and Tyler Sagan's of the world, they're old, they're slow, and they're not able to really match up well against other teams unless they get elite goaltending every night. And that is not a recipe for success. So I think if I'm the Dallas Stars, you got to look at selling some of these pieces off if you can and just bring in a bit of a youth movement because it is not pretty. And, you know, Jamie Ben continues to decline. You're not getting a lot from Tyler Sagan, although I'm not sure he's completely healthy. He's rarely healthy, unfortunately. I mean, we'll see what happens, but it has not been a good start for them, for the Dallas Stars. Well, I can tell you this, Mac, from seeing them play in person uh, three, four weeks ago now, that's exactly what I saw out of Dallas. They're a team that the age has been catching up with a lot of their older players and a lot of their guys, like, for example, Jamie Ben, Tyler Sagan. Uh, now, to be fair, some of them were returning after being out for months on end, but they all just looked kind of lost out there. They didn't look like they could keep up with the pace of the young game. Of course, Miro Heiskanen had no problems keeping up with the Tim Stutzels and Josh Norris's of the world. But the Sens skated circles around them because they're a fast, young team. And Dallas, the age has unfortunately caught up with them. I know you and I... Uh, we wish you hadn't because we like I like this group and I know you do too. But I think that Dallas is gonna be I don't think they need to rebuild. They've got some decent players in on their team and in the system too. But if you can retool, if you can sell, for example, a Braden Holtby off at the deadline to let's say a Calgary that needs a goalie and get some good assets in return, you should do that because I don't see them making the playoffs this year. I don't think many people did. I I think that the sooner you can start retooling and kind of changing the old guard is the best way I can put it, Mac. If you can get that done sooner rather than later and get some good assets in return and start pushing for that youth movement pretty quickly, Dallas uh, isn't going to be out of the playoffs for long. Yeah, and and I think that's the challenge that's ahead of Jim Nill. You know, like you said, it's an old roster. They don't have a lot of cap space. Right now they have zero cap space, actually. If you just take a look at cap friendly here, you know, you've got Pavelski and Radulov on expiring deals. So there's 13 million off the books next year. That will help a lot. I think he recognizes that the need for bringing in young players is there. But at the same time, I think he just wants to give this group one last chance to see what they can do. And so far, like I said, it hasn't been pretty. But if I'm Jim Nill, you got to look at some of the young teams around the league, like L.A., Anaheim, New Jersey. You know, these teams that are fun to watch, they've got speed and skill. 
They compete hard every night. I don't think there's anything wrong with the stars in their coaching or some of the players they have. It just, to me, the mix isn't right. And I think old habits die hard, but I think Jim Nill really needs to look at a youth movement sooner rather than later. Hopefully next year, hopefully you start to acquire some young pieces at the deadline, but you look at the division they're in and there's a lot of competition in that division. And you have to wonder, you know, what does this look like? To me, this is probably a two to three year kind of retool project for the Dallas Stars. All right, let's move on to the next topic. I think we just have a couple more things to discuss and we'll be done for today. Sounds good. So next up, uh, let's get some positivity going in here, now, shall we? <laughs> we've yeah, sleds. Like 25 <laughs> minutes now and it's been all negative stuff. We're, we're just, we're downers today. So let's get some positivity in here, Mac. And uh Talk about a team that is now the closest NHL team to you, the Edmonton Oilers. And this is a team that I felt like they were going to be this good because it's McDavid and it's Dreisaitl and they're in the Pacific. To me, the question is and will continue to be until the spring, Mac, what can they do in the playoffs? Because I know what they can do in the regular season. We saw this play out last year and the year before land. We know they're a great regular season team. I think that's the million-dollar question in Edmonton. I'm sure if you asked a lot of Edmonton fans around Grand Prairie, they're probably thinking similar thoughts. Oh, yeah, we know McDavid's good. We know Dreisaitl's good. This team has been solid. They're killing it. But what are they going to do when the playoffs roll around? If they can if they can figure out ways to bolster their roster, if Ken Holland can make some good moves at the deadline to bring in a little more depth, so McDavid doesn't need to carry the entire team on his back all the time in the first round of the playoffs. I think they'll be set because this is a pretty good Edmonton Oilers team, wouldn't you say? No, yeah, they're they're really fun to watch. And I mean, what can you say about McDavid? I mean, he's just in his own league with how good he is every night. And and yeah, you can look at some of those plays, you know, like the goal against the Rangers and say that's terrible defense. And it is, but you can't. <laughs> deny that that is just an unbelievable play and he made another one the other night so I would say he scored at least six or seven highlight real goals already and that you know he just continues to be just outstanding and dry sidle in his own right shows up every night plays hard I love the way he plays I think with Edmonton the thing that sticks out to me Matt is with guys like Nugent Hopkins now with Hyman with Pugliarvi you know you've got some decent guys on your third line like Yamamoto and Fogel and, you know, decent depth overall, better than you've had. Now you actually have two lines you can play and not have to worry about just McDavid and Dreisaitl carrying the play because Pugliarvi and Hyman are kind of similar in that they got they play hard on the forecheck. They're pretty good defensively. They've got enough offense. They drive the play a little bit and they're reliable players that can complement players like Nugent Hopkins and McDavid and Dreisaitl. So I think that is a really big step in the right direction. I still am not sold on their defense. You know, Darnell Nurse was just recently announced as out for a little while. So now you've got to rely on Duncan Keith and Evan Bouchard to carry the load. That is a lot to ask. We'll see what happens. And also the goaltending. Miko Koskinen has had a real bounce back year. And, you know, he wasn't shy about saying how disappointed he was in his play last year. But to me, he's been really good this year. I've seen him make some really good saves. His positioning is good, and he's a real big goaltender. He's used all that size to his advantage and made a number of really good 
you know, sprawling desperation saves, but just very sound. And I think Mike Smith, even when he comes back now, you can say again, last year, one of the things we said was it's Mike Smith and we're not getting a lot from Koskinen, but I got to tell you when Smith comes back, I think he's still a starter, but I think you've got a one, two situation again now where you can rely on either of these guys and you know, they're going to give you a chance to win every night. Yeah, I think you summed it up well. The one thing I, I do need to touch on, Mac, is I, I think I need to – I've kind of ate my own words here on Zach Hyman because I, I will admit back when the signing happened over the summer, I remember on this podcast I was pretty critical of the signing. And long-term I may end up being correct, but at least short-term that looks like a, a real great signing for the Edmonton Oilers. As you mentioned, guys like Hyman, Ryan Nugent Hopkins, they've got a true second line now. And it's making a world of difference. So, as I said, I might have to eat my words here, Mac. I'm not afraid to admit when I'm uh, wrong on things, even if it's only for the short term. Well, you know what? You know what? Let's keep that positivity going. And speaking of Alberta teams, how about them Calgary Flames, Matt? Oh, yeah. Calgary was in Ottawa just under a week ago. Now, to be fair, they were playing a Sens team where half the guys were out with COVID and the other half were out with other sorts of injuries. That Calgary team, I got to say, they're looking pretty darn good, Mac. I think the Battle of Alberta this year is going to be absolutely wild. And you you look at guys like Johnny Gaudreau, he has 19 points in 17 games so far, six goals, 13 assists. He's looking good. Elias Lindholm has been looking fabulous as well. He's got 18 points. Matthew Kachuk, he's been really really good this year as well and we're getting some uh, depth scoring in calgary this year too even guys like milan lucic he's got six points in 17 games which for milan lucic at his age i gotta give him credit there mac and then to me the big one and i know you're gonna bring it up too is another goalie just like koskinen jacob markstrom's had a bounce back year this year you look at his stats so far in 13 games that he started he's got six wins he's got Three losses and four overtime losses, but that's not the big thing that counts. You look at the goals against average here, Mac. He's got a 1.68 goals against average with a 942 save percentage. That is fabulous. The Flames goaltending, at least for now, that's what's been their biggest weakness for years, Mac, may now be their biggest strength. And that that just changes the whole narrative around Calgary, in my opinion. No, you're right. And and I agree about the goaltending. Not only have you had Markstrom looking like his old self, we knew that was going to happen. You know, he's too good of a goalie to be like he was last year. But remember, it's a big change for him moving on from a team he's been with for a long time to Calgary. So good on him for having a bounce back year so far. But also Dan Vladar is a guy who they acquired was kind of a low cost move from the Boston Bruins. And he's been really good as the backup. I've been impressed with what I've seen. And I have to give credit to Daryl Sutter here, Matt, because I think he he had a chance to come in last year and things did not go as planned. You know, you had the well-publicized Sam Bennett thing where he was playing him as kind of a third-line grinder type. And obviously he goes to Florida. That offense is back in there again. To me, he was coaching like he did you know, five, 10 years ago, it, it just didn't work. Right. And a lot of players were struggling. Giordano looked like he was starting to decline a lot that has continued this year in Seattle. But if I look at the way he's coaching now, you know, I think he's realized, okay, look, we've got skill, we've got speed, we've got good defensemen. We've got 
very good goaltending between either of those two guys. So what do we need to do better? Well, one thing they've done really well, I thought, Matt, is obviously the defensive play and the goaltending is huge. But their transition game in their own right is really good. They're really good at pushing the pace. They're smart. But also defending the transition game and defending the neutral zone, they have done so much better this year. So credit to the Calgary Flames. I mean, what they're doing is working. We'll see if it continues. But I really like how they're playing and they're fun to watch. And it's nice not to have to talk to them in a negative context anymore. Yeah, it's great to see. And it's great for Alberta hockey. There's two real passionate fan bases out there. All right. Well, I think that just about does it. What do you think, Matt? Yeah, I think that just about does it. I do want to wrap up with one more positive thing. We got to give a quick congratulations to the 2020 Hall of Fame induction class. They had their long overdue induction take place this week. Doug Wilson, Kim St. Pierre, Kevin Lowe, Jerome McGinley, Marion Hosen, Ken Holland, all well-deserved into the Hall of Fame, in my opinion. And it's great to see them all finally get their moment in the limelight. Hopefully uh, my favorite ex-player, Daniel Alfredson, can find his way in next year. But we shall see. Yeah, absolutely. All right. Well, thanks again for listening, guys. Center Ice is available on every podcast platform. Just look for the white, blue, and red logo. This has been a fun episode. Once again, we are going to get back into that two episodes a month. They're going to be a little tighter this month because it is a little late in November, but we will get you another episode towards the end of the month. So stay safe, guys. Enjoy the games. And thanks again for listening. (laughs) 